Welcome back to the Power Hour Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is eight minutes past the hour, moving to the second hour of the broadcast today. And I personally am just very, very excited to be getting an opportunity to speak with Alan Watt again. He's agreed to come back on the show. Last time he was on the show, uh, we had such a positive response, so many questions, uh, just his ability to convey information about such a wide variety of topics is just the second to none. He's been an integral part in my awakening process, and I'm really happy uh, to be able to share some of his information with you folks today. Uh, and just to give you some background on Alan, he has been a researcher of the causative forces behind all of the major changes in historical development for a number of years. He's sort of a Renaissance man. He was a musician. He's been an author. He does uh, speeches on radio and does video just all the time. He's got a fantastic website called Cutting Through the Matrix, uh, and I recommend everybody go there. Um, but again, you're going to hear some information today that you're not going to hear anyplace else, and this is what uh, the Power Hour is all about. So, Mr. Watt, thank you so much for agreeing to come back on to the Power Hour again today. It's a pleasure to be back on, yeah. Well, it's going to be a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, before we get too in-depth, uh, I want to I, I preface everything by saying we, we're going to talk about social engineering today. We're going to talk about mind control, some of the techniques and agendas and technologies that are used to manipulate people, manipulate the masses, and talk about that from a historical perspective and try and do some projection onto the future to see where we're all going. But before we get into that, Alan, could you give us just a little bit more of your background, talk to the people about who you are, just for new listeners, people who may not be familiar with you? Yes, I've been studying this since I was a child, really. Uh, I had to know why things were changing uh, so rapidly in uh, Britain, especially where I was born. And uh, we had fantastic libraries there. Uh, and I, I managed even to get into the, the adult library when I was very young. So I, uh, I, I got access to uh, lots of reference books, going back hundreds of years, some of them, uh, to, to see the causative forces even back in history. And I realized even at school uh, that the, the, the current histories we're having of the past were fake or false. They'd been changed when the original books that were written at the time had vastly different informations in them and so on. So I, I caught on rather quickly that society always has, for each generation, its new reality, you might say, uh, given to them, beginning especially with school. And that carries on to the parents who then teach that new reality on to the child. So it's an ongoing system that's been well understood for many centuries, in fact, of how reality is given. Uh, I realize, too, uh, that countries like Britain, now it's the U.S., of course, used to be the battering ram uh, for what was called from the days of uh, John Dee, for instance, uh, a British or British world empire. Uh, that was eventually turned over to the U.S. when Britain had fought enough of it, taken over a good part of the world, but was technically broke through taxation. And they passed that on to the U.S. to take over uh, around World War I. And Rudyard Kipling, for instance, and others wrote about that. They belonged to the societies which were the driving forces behind that. Uh, the Fabian Society, which is a branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and, uh, and also the Alfred Milner Group, Cecil Rhodes Foundation, and the Council on Foreign Relations. These are all one group today that really make the policies for the world to bring in a world order, a, a literally a standardized world order uh, with a universal culture, uh, all uh, diverse cultures, 
eventually have to be eliminated and changed into this universal uh, culture. But not just for, for peace on the planet, it's to create a more pliable population worldwide uh, for an elite to rule over and direct much more easily than they have in the past to do with, with even the possibility of any future rebellions. In fact, many of the big players who gave us our present culture that were of today and uh, of the recent past and, and the culture still to come, the changes still to come, guys who are dead, like Lord Bertrand Russell, for instance, wrote copiously about this because he was a big uh, player among, uh, along with uh, many behaviorists like, like Skinner. You've heard of uh, Skinner, the behaviorist, and, uh, and his brother Julian Huxley, the head of UNESCO. You, the United Nations was to be a big, big part of it. And eventually they were to start creating policies that would bypass governmental uh, discussion. That was done long ago. Government today is simply a technocratic government that does what it's told. And it's a big machine, you might say, with its policies already set in place. And, and, and the politicians are there to keep us under the illusion that we still have some say in something. But in reality, we've had no say in anything since at least World War II. Uh, so a uniform culture, a, 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 a dumbed-down culture, by the way, a population reduction, which we've done insidiously, uh, not through, uh, after all, if they wanted to, uh, population reduction, they don't ask for volunteers. Who's going to volunteer? Uh, and so they simply had their, their meetings at the end of World War II in London. In fact, the king uh, had, uh, had a world meeting about it, and they decided that they would go the way of inoculations, uh, the alteration of the food, uh, etc., that would shorten people's lives, make them sicker, and they'd die off quicker. But they also wanted to dumb down the population. They talked about the scientific techniques of mind control in a very big way. They understood it very, very well back then, by the way, and, uh, and how they could give us realities. Uh, they also wanted to break the old system of traditional families. All, in fact, what was amazing about it all, really, to me, uh, long, long ago, was how the elite who run uh, a good part of the world back then um, used the Communist Manifesto uh, to, to help bring in these changes. They wanted to break traditional families and the traditional culture pass from family through generations uh, to make everyone uh, uh, basically susceptible to government authority as opposed to familial and, and, and neighborhood, uh, almost tribal authority, because their biggest problem used to be the family unit. Families had so much in common with other families in their areas, especially in the States. Uh, eventually, and previous to that, it was Britain. And people would stand up together when, when their values were challenged by the authorities. The occasional rebellion would, would break out. So they had to stop that. H.G. Uh, Wells talked about it. He belonged to the Fabian Society, how they would do it. And also you had uh, George Orwell, who uh, understood this perfectly well because he also attended the world meetings they had at the time. He was part of it initially, and he knew what they were going to do to destroy the family culture. And so in this book, 1984, uh, in that particular book, he showed you a world where there was really no family. Uh, everyone uh, was, was observed night and day by Big Brother through cameras, etc., and listened to with secret microphones, and, and the government could, could then talk right down to you 
And when they came after you, there was no one, there's no family or anybody to stand up beside you in your defense. You're on your own. And that in itself is a tremendous psychological weapon because when you're on your own, you're helpless, you're terrified, and so on. That's what they wanted to do. They're bringing it in today, not through threatening you, but by making it very appealing to give up all freedoms and rights by giving you all the freebie entertainment and so on through cell phones and and electronic media, uh, which so, so you become compliant. You give up voluntarily without even knowing you're doing it or caring, actually. And that's that's the way that they've gone. So we're, we're pretty well where they want us to be for this particular stage before they bring in the transhumanist agenda completely. Uh, right now, they've muddied up what man and woman was and marriage, marriage was. Uh, now we we're told to accept all the political correct updates to our programming. Uh, and so we have all kinds of agendas in between, supposedly. And once you start to believe that, uh, then they can bring forth the, the actual new creations of different kinds of of humans to serve the elite in the future better as we all die off, basically. Uh, so it's a well-run agenda, and they have constant uh, meetings all, all, all year round, world meetings, with top scientists about this. So it's ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up the, the breakup of the family unit. I mean, we talked about the, the creation of a uniform culture, the dumbing down of people, the population reductions. Now, these are all aspects of social engineering. I'm curious about when the first instance of social engineering really was, who, who kind of got this ball rolling, so to speak. And I, the reason I'm glad you brought up the breakup of the family unit is because we had a guest on Leslie Abbey yesterday who had a video called Buffalo Nation, which was looking at the Lakota Sioux, and this was a fantastic uh, kind of a spotlight put on a small sect of our population here in the country uh, where a clear agenda was driven in the late 1800s where they separated the Native Americans from their families and they actually said you know it was to completely dissolve their tradition to make them not able to be a family anymore and I think that that's a really salient point and I'm glad you brought that up because we see evidence of it all around us but if we could get back on the subject of uh, the kind of the birth of this social engineering uh, and and just maybe give a broader definition of social engineering for anybody who may not understand uh, how that it uh, what it looks like as an agenda if you could sir well social engineering begins with with uh, uh, this first of all even the ancient times by the way uh, this was done occasionally by different people in Persia uh, countries they conquered uh, where you'd separate the child from the parent basically and you'd turn, you'd indoctrinate them uh, with a new philosophy. Uh, and, and, and so the children would turn against their parents. They even have a bit of that in the Bible, of course, because it had been done before. And it's not a new thing at all. We saw the same thing in the communist uh, revolution, where uh, children were taught a whole new philosophy of life, and they were taught to actually hate their parents as being obsolete and actually nasty to the progress of, of society as a whole. So, okay. Alan, it's I've a very old. You and I, I apologize. I have to interrupt. We've got to take a four-minute break. Uh, we're going to come back. I'm going to ask Alan about psychiatry and the new normal. We're going to talk more about mind control techniques and technologies being used for that going forward in the future. Keep it right here with Alan Rott. My name is J.D. Moore. I'm with Joyce Riley. This is the Power Hour Radio Show. We'll be back in four minutes with Mr. Alan Watt. Keep it here.
Welcome back to the Power Hour Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 24 minutes past the hour. We are picking up our discussion with Mr. Alan Watt. The website of interest for you today is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There is so much information on there. I totally recommend everyone going and checking out the uh, deprogramming videos because, uh, as I said, Alan has been an integral part in my awakening process. And we're discussing today social engineering. Before the break, we had talked. We had started to talk about uh, the history of the agenda. And if, uh, if Alan, if you want to just pick it up right there, we'll go through the history, and then I want to start talking about some of the uh, technology that is available today that uh, they're using against us. Yes, uh, you, you'll find that they really went into it big time uh, in the 60s. That's when they really launched the, the full-scale attack, you might say, to separate a generation from a, another generation. Uh, the, uh, the new youth generation, their generation, the, the song came out, in fact, talking about my generation, to make you think uh, that uh, we were a different species almost and that everything else was obsolete. And they were very successful in that big money went into promoting Bob Dylan, of course, who actually was guided by the Communist Party at the time. And uh, they'd already tried to get uh, a lot of blacks in the U.S. to have a revolution. They were funding them through the Communist Party. Uh, the, the White House was well aware of it, too. And it failed. They couldn't, they couldn't get it going. So they, they decided to change it to, to the sexual revolution and use Bob Dylan, especially in, in uh, the U.S., to get that going. Lay, lady, lay across my big brass bed, etc., in the UK at the same time, with the same kind of uh, deep southern accent from people who didn't even live there. Yet Mick Jagger was brought out to do his uh, little red rooster stuff and all that. Uh, and, and the sexual generation was to take off along with drugs at the same time. The Grateful Dead were put out into the US with uh, Brandt and other, other people behind them to create this new culture and dishing out free LSD at the time all over the place. And that was to be the call for the break between uh, one generation to the next. And, to, and then they'd reprogram this generation with a brand new culture, which they'd actually did, in fact, uh, where anything goes. So it was awfully successful right to the present day. That killed a few birds with one stone because out of that came uh, uh, massive unwanted pregnancies, uh, which led to the demand for abortion clinics, which they wanted to depopulate. The idea, too, was to separate the sexual act from the bonding act that goes with it naturally, uh, and they were awfully successful in that, too. They, they wrote about that from the Frankfurt School, a big, big player in all of this. And the Frankfurt School was working directly with, under the authority of the White House to bring in this new culture, by the way, for those who don't know that. So massive things were happening, and they were getting people ready for uh, a, a different kind of life, post-prosperity, uh, uh, austerity, you might call it today, uh, was started back then as they tried to dematerialize the people to live simply and cheaply and be a, a better workforce, working for less money and so on. Uh, that's what you have going on the go today under the guise of post-consumerism and austerity. That's also, by the way, why they, they hit at this particular time when uh, the economy is plummeting, uh, they brought in Obamacare. Most folk, as we now live to, the, to, the inc to their income level, they spend what they, what they get. 
and that kept the U.S. going for a long time. But now with 600 to $800 a month Obamacare for a single person, they're spending money's gone. And shops and everybody's suffering for, for that too. But, but the indoctrination doesn't stop there. You can go back to the days of uh, Marshall McLuhan, for instance. He was Canadian, and he talked about this coming era. He foresaw it in many ways. He saw that eventually most folk could be weaned away from talking to each other directly and influenced and talk and, and talk to people on the ether, as he called it, the ethernet, long before you had the internet. Uh, but he also had uh, 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 people he knew uh, working in the military-industrial complex, and they already had the internet, as we well know, long, long ago. Uh, eventually they'd give this to the public, they'd give them a new reality where they could then wean people away from direct contact with each other, live in their boxes, in their head in a a sense, and they communicate to uh, all their sock puppet friends and so on and so on. That's happened. People can hardly look you in the eyes today. They don't want to talk to you directly. They'd rather text you from a distance. Uh, So that's been awfully successful. It's total war. To, to create a new kind of human, which is pretty well almost here and, and reality. People are not smarter at all, more, more intelligent, they're dumber, um, and they, they, they also are losing the ability to, to reason things through. The reasoning is done for them by the state. Now, going back to Bertrand Russell, he said that, and so did Lord Galton Darwin, Charles Golden. Alan, I've got, to, I've got to interrupt you again for one more break. I apologize. You're hearing, ladies and gentlemen, some of the most profound information ever from Alan Watt. We'll be back in three minutes. We're going to pick up our conversation here with Alan Watt, and we're talking mind control today. You're hearing all kinds of information that you're not going to hear anyplace else. And, Alan, I mentioned to you earlier that we had such a positive response from you last time uh, you were on, and uh, already today I'm, the emails are rolling in. So I've got a couple questions that I'm going to just shotgun at you here real quick, and we'll try and get through a few of these just because people are so curious. My first question, though, is... Out of your entire body of work, from books to uh, you know DVDs and interviews that you've done, what do you believe? Where would be a good starting point for people to learn more about what's going on around them? What do you recommend as a first step for people to want to become deprogrammed? And uh, where can people find that information? The best place actually is to study the the books on behaviorism by Skinner and others of his ilk because they were not just talking about uh, human behavior. They were being funded to find out how to understand human behavior uh, and how to alter that and shape it and direct it and use it uh, on a mass scale uh, for the elite's purposes. And so their own books, in fact, condemn them. Um, Very few folk read these particular books. They're easy to read, actually. And uh, Skinner especially was, was very straightforward. So was Bertrand Russell, if you look at the scientific outlook and the impact of science on society. They spoke on behalf of the world groups that they were already working with to shape the cultures which we now have today. And they were doing this way back from the 1930s right through the 60s, 70s, and so on to the present time. Uh, the changes were still going through some of these men at the top were completely responsible for, for laying down the program for it step by step, generation by generation, uh, and, and we're still living through it today. Remembering culture, to change culture, uh, and Plato talks about this, that, that, that and culture 
you have drama. Drama has a tremendous impact on the youth. Today it's movies. Uh, music too, Plato said, should even be licensed because it could stir the youth to rebellion and turn against their parents, for instance, or the establishment if it was used by those who knew how to use it. He knew this because he studied under Socrates, who was actually condemned to death for trying to, to disrupt and deviate the youth to turn against their parents. That was the real reason Socrates was put to death. So um, they understood even in ancient times uh, that music was, uh, was highly effective uh, as, as a tool to stir people's emotions, young people especially, into rebellion and shaped and directed rebellion at that. So it's never changed. These techniques are always the same. The churches knew how to use this as well to get the opposite effect because they built them in such a beautiful way in architecture and experimentation to get the perfect pitch and tones for certain songs and hymns that they sung, which could put you into a meditative state and a very placid state. And once you've been put into a placid state, uh, you're under almost a hypnotic state. It's very close to, to, to sleep and awake and, and you can then be programmed by the particular sermon that's put across to you. Uh, today, they use a much more Hollywood technique in the big churches, um, where they use the high frequencies, which affect the youth, especially very high frequencies, and the very low frequencies. That's why you get them both in popular music. Uh, and, and, and churches, too, today, they use all the lighting equipment, which is very similar to the strobe equipment, that again, Brandt and the guys who worked with Grateful Dead, who worked with the Air Force, by the way, to bring in the strobe lights along with drugs, for those who don't know this. Uh, they were given Air Force hangers to, to test out strobe lights with the use of drugs, bring young, in young people and have them dance and so on, and, and study their effects upon them. This is all done by, from the top down, not from the bottom. And then you convince the youth, of course, always, that the IDs are coming out of their own generation. They have no idea. It's all done by much older people upon them and, and, and put out there for them to grab. But um, So churches are, are a big part of it, too. If you watch televangelists especially... I have, to, I have to interject here because I was a music major in school, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that you just mentioned the music in church because I can only imagine what it would have been like to be in a, you know, a gothic... Uh, cathedral back in the day and the first time you hear something like Palestrina you know where they have separate choirs multiple voices it would have just been I mean, overwhelming would be an understatement to say. Yeah. I mean, just uh, if, and if people haven't heard Palestrina, just do a search for him and start page and listen to some of the music and understand that this was, you know, happening at a time when we were going from Gregorian chant, uh, very mono, you know, tonal to this right. multiple tone, just high frequencies and low frequencies and just majestic music and languages that, you know, the natives really didn't speak uh, would have just been overwhelming. Uh, and I just wanted to point that out that I, I fully understand what you're saying. And I I think yes, it was. literally created in their minds and, and their whole being for that time uh, that you were as close to heaven as you could be. That was the idea. You were. This was what heaven heaven was like. It was beautiful, you see. And this is perfectly well understood. Knowledge of human behavior has been going on for thousands of years. It's never lost. It's the most valuable, valuable information there is. And governments down through the centuries have always acquired this and made sure they had copies of different studies across the world right up to the present time. And today is pretty well perfected. They know exactly how we tick, how we think, how to arrive at conclusions. And in fact, most of us don't come to our own conclusions. 
uh, we're guided to our conclusions with scientific technique today. Yeah. Well, and I want to talk a little bit about you know this dialoguing to consensus that we see through the media it seems like every you know you can turn on the supposed two party system tv channels and you know they're all dialoguing to the same consensus just from different points you're really limited on uh, you know what what the alternative choices might be because you're never presented with any of that so how does media and the new media play a role in keeping us in this state of stasis so to speak Again, it's perfected. Uh, back in the, in the 60s or 50s, actually, uh, Bertrand Russell, again, the, one of the biggest players in all of this, uh, and funded by the British government and the US government and working with the United Nations to bring in the culture, uh, he said that um, it was very easy to give people their opinions by science. He called it scientific technique. And uh, we work very much like computers in a sense, and a good computer programmer should know the answer fed into a computer uh, before it works out on the computer. A computer has a logic. We have a logic. And uh, it has a program, a, the, the reasoning program. It will follow the logic. And so you're given a particular question or, 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 or subject or answer or question. And you, will, you, will, you can be guided uh, by knowing your logic uh, and your reasoning, uh, and you'll be guided to the answer. And that's what neuroscience today is all about. Neuroscience uh, has psychology, behaviorism, and all of these things, and even how the electronic synapses in different parts of the brain work to bring you to the conclusion they desire. It's a perfected science already. It's very simple, really. Yeah. So we could say then that they're using things like social media. Say, you know, there was this article about uh, Facebook doing a huge... Uh, experiment essentially by controlling what people see on their news feed which is a feature of Facebook for those who don't know and uh, I, I find it really interesting the sense people are turning away from television because we're you know we're kind of awakening to the idea that nothing that comes over the TV be a product a person or a perspective all of those things are for sale you know those are those are somebody's agendized ideas but Facebook kind of had this uh, innocence about it but now that we know that they can control what you're seeing are they using that control then to direct you into certain trains of thought in order to oh, cultivate a certain type of person uh, absolutely uh, meme, memes and trends and so on are, are put out there and they study in real time how many people are falling for it and going along with it, etc. And they can instantly adjust on the spot as they're going along how to bring more people in, why they, where they're resisting, and, and bend them to the same thoughts and conclusions and so on as well. Remember that um, here's another thing most folk don't understand or are, are known about uh, the great people in history, uh, even from the days of Einstein, are put up there as frontmen. And uh, and so are the so-called great youth uh, inventors uh, that come out with Facebook and so on. They're really frontmen for a system that gives you the appearance uh, in society of competition in, in a reality where things just happen by individual spectacular people. Nothing is further from the truth. Uh, we, we know what uh, the inventor of these things, including Facebook, have said about the public. He called them stupid efforts, didn't he? He did, didn't he? Uh, and and uh, we know, too, that Google uh, and all the big search engines that uh, were, were set up at the start to take over uh, belong to the NSA uh, and, and MI6 and, and so on. 
that's who set them up and, and runs them today uh, with instant retrieval of information of everybody, of course. So you're given the appearance of competition initially in many areas, including international corporations. Most international corporations, the big ones, are owned by a handful of the same shareholders at the top. They have the controlling interests. But for, for people you follow, you, you're given heroes to follow all the time, especially the youth. And it goes, it goes with these ones who are pulled up into history as to be geniuses. Uh, and, and that makes it more exciting. A genius, oh, this guy is so intelligent. I mean, he must be correct in everything he says. And as I say, Einstein himself started off in a patent office, and his parents were pretty wealthy. They couldn't get him a job anywhere else. He was classed as an idiot at school, by the way. And uh, then he comes out with these theories. He never spoke about them in public. He couldn't without notes in front of him. But what he did talk about was politics all the time and the need for world government and Zionism, etc. And that was his real role. Uh, so they, they give you, uh, you give, they give you the stars even in that area, and if you go into the guys who created uh, uh, the pop industry stars, the, the Hollywood stars for actresses and so on, because we follow the stars, the, the wandering stars, we follow them. Old saying, they give us the stars to follow, and because they're they're up there successful and wealthy, whatever they say, even a social uh, area, must be true. That's what we, how we, how simple we are. That's how we think. And they give you the stars to follow. But Brandt and all these guys did that for them. This begs the question, because you, sir, are a star at this point, and I certainly would qualify you as a genius. And I'm going to ask this question just because I'm going to play devil's advocate and because I got an email from CJ, who wants to know if you are or if you have ever been a member of any of the alphabet agencies. No, no. Okay. I, no, I didn't think no, so. I have, been asked, I have been asked to join some of them. Really? Yes, and, and in fact, I, I, I was asked to join a, 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 the World Citizenship Society run by Rockefeller, and that was only a couple of years ago. I was asked to attend the Rockefeller uh, uh, one at Laurentian University. Very nice letter, by the way. And uh, that, that I knew that was my way in, and if I'd gone in there, I'd have books ghost written for me. I wouldn't have to do any work at all. Things would come my way, and I politely refused. And I said I did not believe in, in what the, their agendas were and, and how they could manipulate societies, etc. But that was, a, that was part of the Roundtable Society of the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute of International Affairs. That's what that is, the World Citizenship Society. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, electronic harassment. Uh, I've heard rumors of people who say that they are electronically targeted, you know, people having... Uh, sleep disruption, uh, noises in their head, things like that. I want to know it, what you know about uh, electronic harassment in terms of technology, and I would like to know if we are at a point now where that uh, technology is, is cost-effective enough that they could target an individual, or are we still at a point where they are targeting you know, broad segments of society? It can certainly be targeted towards an individual much more easily now with smart meters, etc., because a smart meter does more than just uh, monitor your, your home appliances. It's monitoring you as well. And it picks up frequencies uh, from all your appliances. But your brain also gives us off frequencies. And it can actually, give a, it can actually diagnose your, uh, your frequencies off your brain and, and like a unique fingerprint for you. And that goes into a grid. 
And that grid, that, that grid is tapped into all agencies as well, by the way, for the who, those who don't know it. It's not just a private company that owns it. It all goes to the NSA and all the rest of these big boys. So it's quite simple to target a person in their home, especially. And we've had exposés on people having to move out of apartment buildings in Toronto, for instance, uh, because uh, of of, uh, of the smart meters and uh, uh, the fact that you're living inside uh, an electromagnetic grid with the wiring up your walls and all the rest of it. It's quite very simple to do that. By the way, a patent came out of quite, quite a few years ago in Finland uh, where uh, cell phone towers can be used to target a person. And it's so unique, once it has your fingerprint, it can pick you up and, and target just you in a crowd uh, within line of sight. You could be miles away and it can actually target you. Hey, Alan, I've got to I've got to take another three minute break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about mind control, electronic targeting and harassment. Keep it right here. Alan Watt, three minutes on. the. Welcome back to the Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining us, caring about your world today. Alan Watt is our guest, uh, full information, full board of information here. And I do thank you all for Joining us today, I'm sure you glad. I'm sure you are glad that you tuned in. Also, uh, Alan, I'd like to ask you about voice to skull technology. I've seen the black box that is used for that, and I have seen the evidence that it is possible to do it. How prevalent is voice to skull, and how might we be getting that without our knowledge? It's a very old technology. In fact, it was Alexander Graham Bell who worked on it. In fact, so did his father before him. Uh, as they were working with deaf children, and that's where the idea for voice to skull came in initially, uh, with an external sound that would vibrate uh, basically the bones, and even the small bones in the ear, uh, to get the, the, the voice through. It's far more advanced today, naturally, and we had out in the open and mainstream a few years back there, not long ago, in New York City, uh, some advertisers were putting them up on uh, some of the, the blocks there, uh, some of the towers, and and targeting people in the streets. They, they warned them in advance, you may hear a voice in your head directing you to go into this store, buy this, buy that, and so on. And that was a trial balloon to see if there would be any outcry from a public. And by now, we're so dumbed down, a lot of folk simply accepted it. So it's very old technology. However, the CIA were using this technology back in the 50s, and uh, Dr. Bigage, in fact, I, I don't know how he, I, I, I'm not quite sure about him yet, but uh, uh, he came out on the Wendy Mesley show in Canada uh, years ago uh, with tablefuls of these little handheld devices the size of a, a TV remote converter, uh, or a pack of cigarettes, in fact. And he told Wendy to, to stand in the middle of a room with her back turned, uh, on, this is live uh, CBC Television Canada, the main st- uh, government station. And he pointed at her and he says, what do you hear? She had music in the middle of her head. This is a more advanced technology. And he said, just, I could just as easily have put thoughts in your head. Now, putting thoughts or thought, in, thought insertion would have you committed as a schizophrenic in society. And God knows how many people have actually had that done to them and ended up in, in a psychiatric unit. But he had tablefuls of this, and, and he said that this was used, it's all obsolete, he said, this was used by the CIA in the 50s and the 60s. And by the way, it had to be solid state and microcircuitry even back then. Whatever they present to the public te- in a technological uh, way is obsolete technically. They're always a way advanced. 
advance of what they tell you they're working on or this is the latest. And Bigage also went across to uh, the European Parliament. Uh, that was broadcast over there because some of the parliamentarians thought that some of this technology was being used on them when they got up to speak. Uh, and he demonstrated some of his equipment to them. He, they could actually make you nauseous, in fact, or make you even vomit when you tried to start speaking and, uh, and, or simply make your mind a blank or, or give you uh, words that weren't yours until you're talking gibberish. This is very old technology. And, and uh, now, of course, they can actually put something in the size of a ring you'd wear on your finger and do it to you at a, at a great distance. Yeah. Wow. I had another uh, question from a listener that I think we need to ask about. Um, we were talking now about electronic harassment. Uh, my friend Jeff would like to know about uh, physical harassment uh, through vaccine technology and the calcification of the pineal gland. Do you have any thoughts on any of that, sir? Oh, there's no doubt uh, biochemistry is way more advanced. Like all, you understand there are three levels of all sciences. From professorship down at university is the lowest level of science. Uh, there's a level above that. Some professors are brought up into the second level, a selected few. I've had this from some professors, by the way, and I've had visits from them. And they're shown archives, real archives of real information uh, remember that most uh, investigations in science are sponsored through your government tax money in combination with private foundations. That's right. We've got uh, to take a one minute and ten second break, Alan. We're going to come right back. We'll have a nice long five minutes. To We're talk. going to talk about solutions and answers and what to do about all this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Power Hour. This is Joyce. And J.D. We'll be right back. Radio show, ladies and gentlemen, straight up top of the hour. It's our final segment with Mr. Alan Watt, and we've been speaking about mind control today. Uh, and coming off of these topics of electronic and physical harassment and technology being used to control all of us, are there any solutions available, Alan? Is there anything we can do to avoid all of this manipulation? Apart from being aware of it, uh, there's not so much you can do if you, if you live in a regular society where you're bombarded with this uh, from all kinds of sources. Uh, cities especially, you're bombarded with all these uh, transmitters and cell phone towers and, and relays, etc., etc. There's not so much you can actually do, as, as far as I know right now. Uh, many folk have tried to build uh, counters to this where they, they themselves have their own electronic generators that put off different signals, and they, they could be helpful to an extent. But at the same time, it's not healthy to be bathed in any kind of really high-frequency radio signals. So um, your best bet really is to have your house. Like in, for instance, I don't know if folk know this, but in, in some countries like Holland, uh, the government accept, accepts the fact that people have uh, terrible responses to all the, 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 the microwaves, etc., that are in the air today. And they'll come in and they will pay for your house to be screened and, and they literally uh, proof your whole house, ceilings, floors, walls, everything, uh, so, so they can't, the, the different frequencies cannot penetrate your particular home. And so other countries recognize this can make people terribly ill, very, very sick indeed. Uh, Canada does recognize that people can be very sensitive and make them very sick as well. Sleep disruption is a common thing as well. So you can buy, if you have the money, and it's, unfortunately it's, it's too expensive right now for most folk, but you can get the copper paints, etc., which are 
very, very good. You can get the still get the, the aluminum louver blinds to cut these signals from coming through the windows, things like that. Simple things that you can certainly do. Um, but uh, some people don't even feel it at all because they, they don't, they're not hypersensitive. They're still being affected fully by it, but they're not hypersensitive to these changes. Uh, they don't get sick with them. Others get terribly sick, even with the small ones. But we have over 750,000 new frequencies that don't exist in nature going th- passing through our cells of our body every day uh, in this modern day and age. And uh, the technotronic warfare that Brzezinski talked about in the 1970s was already established as being workable. And I've, and I've got some of the talks from the, the guys who worked on it back then, in fact, top scientists, who admitted they could actually alter behavior back in the 70s by different frequencies and so on. Um, it's very far advanced, uh, but if you can possibly proof your house uh, or your room or apartment building from it, don't use Wi-Fi at all of any kind. Uh, make sure you're directly plugged in if you're using the internet at all into your modem, uh, hardwired into it, uh, and get away from all this wireless stuff because it, it will make you terribly sick. But again, too, we're being forced into a system. This is the key to it. Not forced so much. We're coerced into it, but most folk go into it willingly because if they think of all the benefits they can get from being on the Internet. Personally, I wouldn't, I've said this years ago, I wouldn't touch the Internet at all unless I wasn't putting information out. And that's the only reason I came out, in fact, was to put this information out in the first place. It was time to do it. Um, I heard so much nonsense. Well, I, I think that's a really important point, too, the, the idea that we are going to be lulled into this by, by complacency and by the fact that they're going to present it to us as uh, convenience, and that seems to be the boat that everyone's in. Alan, I want to ask you your, a final question about uh, this idea of deprogramming. You, you know, we're all kind of bent on the idea that we can deprogram everybody, but what would a world full of deprogrammed people look like? What's the best-case scenario going forward? It would be uh, uh, tricky initially because a deprogrammed people, uh, once again, without uh, 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 people don't realize how their culture has been broken and destroyed. Without a common culture, you could have a bit of chaos initially, until a common one was established against. In other words, a common one means simple. It's like a tribal system in any country, in any era. You you, you know what the taboos are, your tribal laws are, and you know what's right and wrong. And then you, that's how you can go forward and, and work together as a people. They would have to get this new culture back again. So fascinating, Alan. I apologize. We are out of time. We've been talking to Alan Watt. Everyone go to the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com.